It's like a void of black. There's a portal open here. Let's talk about some spooky shit. It's hey. Friday the 13th that we're recording this, so. Yes, it is. So light your candles, go get a tattoo, sit under the moonlight. Yeah. yeah. Do you some make you witchy some witch's stuff. brew. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe get drunk a little bit. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Get crazy. Um, go skinny dipping. Yeah. That's always a fun one. Yeah. Especially when it's hot. Yeah. Nice. Oh, wait. We didn't tell our names. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Welcome to Violent Delights. This is Savannah. <laughs> and Jerica. And Birdie. Nice. We're so glad you're listening. Yes, we want to give a shout out to one of our loyal listeners. Um, it's Jerica's best friend. Daniel! Hey, Love Daniel! You. He likes all of our posts, and he's super interactive, and he's great. Yeah. yeah. And we would, we discuss having him as a guest on our show sometime, so we would love to do that if he's interested. Oh, he's definitely interested. Oh, yes. Okay. No pressure now, because yeah. we're talking about it. So do it, Daniel. <laughs> If he if he's not on an episode soon, yeah, you know he look at our out. posts and harass him a little bit. Just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, that would be that would be some fun content yeah. to bring on. So today our subject is going to be evil children or killer kids. So we could either do be doing true crime or more supernatural. So just stay tuned to figure out yeah. what we decide to discuss. Um. Okay, Savannah, go ahead and kick us off. Will do. Okay, so. As we said, we're doing, our subject matter is killer kids or evil kids. So I decided to cover black-eyed children. Ooh. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite subjects. Yeah, and it's one I've been wanting to cover for a while. Um, I've brought it up several times, so I'm sure you guys knew this one I was going to do. Yeah. Uh, my sources are YouTube channel Storied, Wikipedia.com, Reporter, <laughs> ReporterNews.com, ThoughtCatalog.com, and TBSNews.net. I can't help but have an inflection with that. It gets me excited. So, the urban legend of black-eyed children. So, what is a black-eyed child? It's usually a child between the ages of 6 to 16 years old. Typically, they are seen on the younger side of that spectrum. They have very, very pale skin, solid black eyes. And this isn't just, like, the pupil area or the iris area. This is, like, the whole eye. Like, Ooh, even the little... Don't like that. Yeah. Fucking hate it. It, it is described as jet black pools of inky darkness, almost like voids. They are mostly seen in hoodies or like really thick clothing used to kind of like cloak them. Hmm. So you don't really see a lot of like features or right. where they can kind of keep their head down so you don't really get to see their eyes that often. Um, some, very few, but some have been seen in outdated clothing similar to like white dresses from like the 1800s. Because in my head, I'm kind of picturing, like, an Amish kid. Right, yeah. So some of them have been seen like that. Huh. Some have been described as having talon-like feet as well. Don't like that. Yeah, which I had never heard of that before. Um, But again, there weren't very many reports of them having talon-like feet. For the most part, they just look kind of like a typical child other than the eyes. So their behavior. So a black-eyed kid, if you come across one, they're described usually as being alone without any adults and in very weird places that you typically wouldn't see a child just, like, walking by themselves. So, like, you know, in the middle of the night, they might be walking down, like, a lonely road or something or, you know, in an alleyway. Just some places you wouldn't typically see a child by themselves. They're usually seen hitchhiking or begging 
they will appear on doorsteps, knocking on doors, uh, peeping through the windows, um, knocking on windows, and usually asking for help or asking to be let into the residence or the car or wherever it is that they are. Oh, that's so deceitful. Because, like, who doesn't want to help a little kid? Exactly. Absolutely not. I work with kids, and that would be a fuck no. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. That's a red flag. I'm a white person. I let everyone in. I go it's looking true. for monsters. Like, yeah. hello, on our, what was it, where were we at? The River House? Where you yeah. were, like, walking out into the darkness? You and fucking Me and Joseph. Joseph. And I was like, nope. This is how black people die. Yeah. In scary movies. I'm out. Yeah. So I went back inside. <laughs> that was on the bridge, too. Yeah. Right? Oh, I do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. True. All right. Here's the creepiest one. Some of these children appear on balconies with, like, no way that people can figure out how they got there. Like, there's no ladder to these balconies <gasps> or anything like that. Yuck. They usually appear in very remote areas with no trace of how they arrived or how they left. So, for example, there might be footprints leading to where they went, but no footprints leading back, things like that. Their voices and speech patterns are very strange, mechanical, and almost scripted. Um, Almost like they only have like a few phrases they can say and they can't really like hold a conversation. When not being let in or given what they want, they become very agitated and persistent, continuing to beg and plead to be let in. Or they start to resort to banging on the door and becoming very aggressive often repeating the same thing over and over, like, let me in, let me in, let me use your phone, let me in. Gross. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're even quoted as saying, we can't come in unless you let us in. Ooh. Is it just one kid when they say that, too? Because I oh, don't like that. And so hearing like that, that, would you still let this fucking thing in? Probably. <laughs> I know. That's how I die. <laughs> so they seem very desperate to be invited into your home, your car, or whatever your private space may be. So what are the effects of the black-eyed kids? Uh, some people report an overwhelming sense of dread, a very uneasy feeling, um, like the predator-prey feeling, like as if the kids are the predator and they're the prey. Oof. Long-term, nosebleeds, headaches, huh. night terrors, agoraphobia, and in some extreme cases, cancer. And this is all if you've just encountered them, not necessarily that you've let them in. Right, because we don't know. We don't know if they just kill you or yeah you disappear or mm-hmm. you lose your mind absolutely uh so again um there are many beliefs uh about what these things are so obviously not real children but some people believe vampires demons angels like angels of death ghosts or aliens knew it yep mm-hmm. knew you were gonna say that yeah it's your favorite it is and i didn't even know that that was a theory until i started researching and yeah. then i was kind of like okay of course it is there i mean there's a lot of stories that i'm going to discuss that will kind of explain why i think that that might be a pretty i don't know the vampire one though is pretty positive yeah as well. that's the one that came into my head the first time when you started talking about it like them saying like you have to let us in they're pale they move quickly yeah it's mm-hmm. it's edward yeah do they gleam in the sunlight they glitter maybe mm-hmm. you know they do so let's talk about the origin story of the Black-Eyed Kids. Uh, it's actually a pretty recent legend. It started in around 1996 Good year. with a guy <laughs> by the name of Brian Bethel who encountered Black-Eyed Kids um, for the first recorded time uh, in Abilene, Texas, again, back in 1996. So here's I'm going to go over his story, and I've got two other stories. Um, one of them is from a couple who actually did let one in. So it can kind of explain how they were affected. Don't like that. Mm-hmm. 
So here's Brian Bethel's encounter, and this is from the thesourcereporternews.com. I had gone down to the former site of Camelot Communications, and I'm going to skip over some of this because basically he's sitting in the parking lot writing his check, about to drop off his check into the bank slot. So he's sitting in the dark um, outside of a theater, and he was using the light from the theater's marquee to write out his check whenever he um, had two young boys approach his car. He didn't even hear them approach. He said they were somewhere between 9 to 12 years old and dressed in hooded pullovers. So they had a majority of their face and things covered. Um, they stood out his car window and he cracked the window a bit, anticipating a spiel for money. But he was immediately gripped by an incomprehensible, soul-wracking fear. And he had no idea why. A conversation ensued between one boy, a somewhat suave, olive-skinned, curly-headed young man, and him. And the other child was a red-headed, pale-skinned, freckled young man. And he stayed in the background and didn't really speak. And that's pretty typical of a lot of the stories I was reading about black-eyed kids is if they do come in pairs Yuck. or as a group, there's usually one that's more of like the ringleader who does a lot of the like talking and manipulating, if you will, and the others typically stay very quiet with like their heads down. Oh, like hyenas when hyenas hunt. Girl. Yeah, Girl. pretty much. Yeah, just like a little, little pack. So he calls the one that talks the spokesman. He says he told the spokesman told him that he and his companion needed a ride. They wanted to see a movie, Mortal Kombat, and they had left their money at their mother's house, and they wanted to know if he could give them a ride. He said it was plausible enough, but all throughout this exchange, the irrational fear continued to grow. He had no reason to be frightened of these two boys, but he was, terribly. After a bit more conversation, he looked up at the theater marquee and down at the digital clock in his car. Mortal Kombat slash show of the night had already started. By the time he would have driven the boys anywhere and back, it would have been over. All the while, the spokesman uttered assurances, such as, it wouldn't take long. There were just two little kids. They didn't have a gun or anything. Oof. No, yeah. why, why do you have to announce that? Why do you yeah. feel like, I'm just a kid, I don't have a gun. Fuck that. Yeah, and I mean, that's just like something, like a kid, I think, that would be asking for a ride or even for money or anything wouldn't just like, especially a kid that young, would yeah. it just like bring up like, hey, I don't have a gun. Like, Cool. Yeah. So Brian said that last part was very unnerving. He noticed that his hand had stayed towards the lock on the door, but he pulled it away violently. In a short time, he had broken the gaze of the spokesman, and then something had changed. So I guess it was almost like he was, like, in a trance. Um, his mind exploded in a vortex of all-consuming terror. Both boys stared at him with cold, black eyes, the sort of eyes one sees these days on aliens. <laughs> our bargain basement vampires on late night television mm -hmm. soulless orbs he did what any rational person would do he full-on freaked out inside while trying to appear completely sane and calm he apologized to the kids and made whatever excuses came to his mind <laughs> and all of them were designed to get him the hell out of there and fast the aura of fear was now palpable Pal palpable god damn that word i know it's palpable. so hard i hate it it's like i don't like non-applicable applicable, mm -hmm. applicable. It was almost as if reality itself was wrapping around him. <laughs> he wrapped his hand around the gear shift, mm. threw the car into reverse, and began to roll up the window, apologizing all the while to these kids. <laughs> his fear must have been evident because the boy in the back wore a look of confusion, and the spokesman banged sharply on the window as he was rolling it up. And his words were full of anger, and it still echoes in Brian's mind today. He stated, 
we can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. Ooh. Fuck that. Don't like that. Yeah. So Brian drove out of the parking lot in blind fear, and he was surprised he didn't sideswipe a car too long the way. When he looked back in the rearview mirror before driving off, he saw that the boys were gone. And even if they had run, he doesn't believe that there was any place that they could have hidden from view that quickly. Right. Okay, and the second story I'm going to tell you guys uh, is about when an elderly couple actually did let some of these children into their home. So this story is from tbsnews.net. One of the stories goes like this. In a snowy town within the middle of nowhere of Vermont, an elderly couple heard the sound of three... What? We're <laughs> just going to glaze over that little... And it goes like this. And it goes like this. It's like when I pitched, I was like, are you going to That's just how she talks. And it goes I don't, like this. I don't know. I have been putting weird emphasis on I weird syllables. So, <laughs> back to the story. And... In a snowy town within the middle of nowhere, Vermont, an elderly couple heard the sound of three loud knocks on their door. They opened the door and saw two children, of course. A boy and a girl. Parents will be here soon. May we come in? They said. The children did not make eye contact and just stood there in the doorway. The elderly couple were hesitant, but after a while, they let the boy and girl inside. So any kid that says may we, don't fucking trust that kid. That kid's not right. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely not right. This is not the 1800s. Mm -mm. The kids settled on the couch while the wife made some hot cocoa and the husband asked them questions that went completely unanswered. The wife returned and noticed that her cat was scared and angry with the children. May we please use the restroom? Asked the children. Mm. The wife looked at the kids and she finally saw them. The children's eyes were black as a starless universe. She directed them to the bathroom and returned to her husband, who was covering his face with his hands. Did you see their eyes? The husband showed her his hand full of blood from a nosebleed. The power suddenly went out and the house turned as dark as (gasps) the kids' eyes. The wife headed to the restroom and was confronted by the voice of the kids at the end of the hall, uttering, Our parents are here. (gasps) Ooh, don't like that. Don't like that. Don't like that. Mm -hmm. The kids then exited the house, leaving the door wide open. The wife then noticed that there were two men at the end of the driveway. The men were very tall and slender. Sick. And the wife waved, but did not receive the, fr- the same friendly gesture. Rescind their invitation. Shut the door. Lock it. Yeah. Uh, the two men and children drove away together in one car. The power then came back on a little later after the kids left. Throughout the next week, weird things happened in the house. Three out of four cats went missing, and the fourth had been found dead in a pool of its own blood. The husband continued to have nosebleeds and finally went to the doctor where he was diagnosed with very aggressive skin cancer. (gasps) Mm -hmm. I know. Kind of almost like radiation or something, right? Oh, my God. Crazy. What? So this story um, was from ThoughtCatalog.com. The incident took place about 13 years ago. I had just moved to a new city with my wife. We were small-town newlyweds from the Midwest. We moved cross-country to one of our biggest cities in the Southwest so I could attend graduate school. Being naive and new to city living, I habitually answered the door without a second thought. Never again after this. The first thing that should have tipped me off to the peculiarity yay, <laughs> of this situation was the fact that someone was knocking at 6 a.m. in the morning. The second thing that should have dawned on me is this kid had to reach over a rather tall patio gate to unlatch and open it. 
The knock at the door was startling. My wife and I were getting ready for work, a pretty normal routine. The moment I opened the door, I was overtaken by an inexplicable sense of fear. To this day, I could picture him. A teenager, average height, average build, knee-length black leather coat, short black hair, and sunglasses. Neo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The sunglasses at 6 a.m. struck me as odd, and even more odd, he was eating an apple. He was very polite and asked me if he could come in and warm up. I said no. Closed the door and slid the security chain into place. A moment later, another knock. I opened the now chained door, and before I could speak, he asked again if he could come in and warm up. No, I reply, and attempted to close the door. Before the door could shut, he put his hand out, stopping the door on its hinges. He looked directly into my eyes, wearing his sunglasses, and said, Can I at least get some ketchup for my apple? Fuck that. Nasty. I, rep- I reply, a little confused. Get the hell out of here. My wife is calling the police. He takes a moment to let this information sink in. He lowers his glasses, revealing his eyes black as obsidian, and says, No, he won't be calling anybody. At that moment, I force the door closed, lock it, and call out to my wife. She is scared shitless, hiding in the bedroom. All jacked up on adrenaline, I rip the curtains back to look out the window next to the door. He's gone. Absolutely no trace of him. I go out to the patio and check the gate. It's still latched from the inside. That was fucked up. I think to myself, and as I turn to enter the house, I notice a half-eaten apple lying on the ground. (gasps) He didn't get his ketchup. Like a prop. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So here's just a couple of, like, clips from different stories that really creep me out. So sometimes when they ask for something... They're sometimes it's almost like they're confused at like what time frame they're in because uh, one story was in like nowadays times the kids came up to the door and asked if they can use a telegraph. So that kind of threw them off. I've heard of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another one that was really creepy was a couple who had a few of them go up to their door, knock on the door and ask them to be let in and begged and begged and begged and they got really aggressive and, um, you know, of course the couple didn't let them in. But after the kids vanished, we went out onto their porch and saw that the kids had etched the word soon into their wooden door. Oh, no, no, mm-hmm. no. I hate that. So, in 2014, a British paper reported that the sightings of black-eyed kids around the world are rising, especially in Britain, <laughs> which there are a lot of pale kids. I mean, kids. Yeah, I was about to say. You know, but yeah, I mean, a lot of new reports are coming from over there. Yeah. So, I will leave you guys with one last very short story, and it's a survival story. So, it's from somebody who said that he helped them. I helped them once. Never, ever, under any circumstance, do it. I'm not sure what they do, but it feels as if they're ripping your soul out. They get really close to you, and you get amazingly drowsy. If it weren't for my girlfriend showing up mid-invasion, his words, and kicking them out, I probably would be dead. I didn't even see the black eyes until I had let them in. They're getting smarter. Ooh, don't like that. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that is the legend of the black eyed kids. Curious to know, like, what you guys think they might be. Vampires. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Solved it. Quick. Did it. Not aliens? Nope. Not That's aliens. That's just you. Just Fine. you. Maybe changelings, but probably vampires. Well, but how? I feel like... Who are we to say that vampires can't be aliens? You know what right, I mean? Right, right. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very p- plausible that they could be vampires because a lot of people in a lot of the stories I was reading... Okay, but would 
earnestly, what do you think it is? Vampires. You think it's vampires? Yeah, you don't I do. think it's UFOs? No. I'm shocked. No, I don't. Although, although, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. the at that one story where the children walked out to the driveway and like two very like slender kind of like faceless kids yeah. kind of picked them up. That was a little bit I, like. Ah. I do wonder what that end game was. Yeah. Well, um, so some of the theories they state that it's UFOs. Like people are like, well, what do you think they're like? What right. are they doing? And he, they say that they think it's them trying to study humans. Okay, we have YouTube. Go watch it. There you go. Right. If you're that also, advanced, people live stream right. their li- entire lives. Yeah, that's very Tap true. Into our shit. But if they're trying to like suck energy out, exactly. That makes that makes the most sense. They won't come in unless they're invited in. Mm-hmm. They're pale. Um, energy kind of, you know, electronics and shit don't really work around right. them very well. Um, Aggressive. Yeah, people are almost hypnotized by them or put in, like, a trans-like state sometimes. I, and just the way they're very, like, repetitive. And then sometimes, like, they almost, like, get their time frames mixed up. Like, some of them still think it's, like, the 1920s or something. So, and this is something that I haven't really delved deep into, but has anybody also suggested the theory of fairies? Like, it could be fae people? No. I don't, I haven't seen that. Because, like, the Fae will, like, offer you gifts, too, and you can't lie to them, but you shouldn't tell them your name. Like, there's a lot of weird rules when it comes to <gasps> We should do an episode too. on that, because I don't know anything about that. Yeah, that'd be fun. That would yeah. be. Yeah. Cool. So, that's the story of the Black-Eyed Children. Nice. All right, Birdie. What do you have for us? All right. Hey, guys. So, I have a true crime story for all of us today. I'm going to talk about the killer kid, Mary Bell. Ooh! Have y'all heard about her? Yes. She's creepy as fuck. Really creepy. Yeah. Um, so the following takes place in the 1960s in Scottsdale, England. It's a little neighborhood. A little bit outside of London. Um, it was a lower income community. It was very industrial. Instead of playgrounds, they had this field that they called the Tin Lizzie. And it housed abandoned construction materials that the kids would play on like a playground. <gasps> yeah. Um, in the neighborhood was a girl named Mary Bell. Mary had a mother a stepdad, and a brother who was about a year younger than her. Her stepdad, by all accounts, was very handsome and well put together, but he slowly became like a petty criminal and a drunk. Um, when asked if he was Mary's dad, he would always reply, no, she didn't have a dad. He was her uncle, which is creepy, and nobody really knows why he would say that, because everybody knew. Yeah. Like, that was her step. Anyway, he was weird. He was, he was a weird guy. Her mom was a complete and total bitch, Her name was Betty. She was a beauty queen and everyone doted on her. She grew up in a very loving and well-adjusted family by all accounts, but she was just really off. Like, clearly, looking back at it, she had a personality disorder. Mm -hmm. She actually reminds me a lot of Casey Anthony, (sighs) if that gives you any kind of, like, headspace around her. As a kid, Betty would only eat in the corner of the room behind a chair, or if she could pretend like she was stealing food off of the family member's plates. Yeah, really bizarre behavior. Um, When she became a teenager, she would drink and stay out all night. It's reported that when she gave birth to Mary at age 17, when the nurse tried to hand her the baby, Betty tried to throw her on the ground saying, get that thing away from me. Oh, that's nice. Really good mom. Yeah. You can see why she, her daughter was so set up for success. Right. In the future. (laughs) Um, Betty couldn't handle being a mom to two young kids. She would often leave her son with her dad and would leave Mary with her aunt Kath and uncle for weeks at a time. Oh my God. The aunt and uncle loved Mary and teachers claimed that they could always tell when she was with uh, her aunt and uncle because her behavior would immediately improve. 
They actually tried to adopt her several times, but Betty always refused, saying that they were trying to steal her baby. But she wasn't interested. She wasn't there. Right. She would just, like, here's my kid. I'm going for five days. Or here's my kid. I'm going for two weeks. Definitely Casey Anthony. Absolutely, right? So, like, one time Betty even wrote them a letter saying that she had given Mary away to a stranger. Why would you do... That's your sister. Like, why would you do that to her? So, um, Mary's aunt actually drove to the person's house and found out that was a complete lie. Like, Betty was just making shit up. Mary was also hospitalized four times for ODing on anxiety medication. Uh, The fourth time it happened, Mary was three, and she was able to talk a little bit more. And when she woke up, she told the doctors, Nima gave me the the Smarties over and over and over again. Hmm. Her sister, Kath, actually confronted Betty saying one time is an accident, two, three, and four times, this is on purpose. After that, Mary never had an accidental OD again. Sad. Yeah. It was also later revealed that when Betty had worked as an S&M dominatrix and a prostitute, it's alleged that when Mary was very young, Betty would actually take her to her appointments, although it was never alleged that Mary was sexually assaulted in any ways. But she was there and did witness some of the acts. Yeah. Which is assault. That's linked, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's linked to, like, obviously, like, a heightened awareness of sex, sexual behavior. Right. Yeah, especially since it's not just, like, just sexual behavior. It's also SNN. Right. And so her family's inconsistent. She's constantly being abandoned. The parents that she does have around openly lie all the time drug Mm -hmm. her like this poor kid had no chance Mm -mm. so now it's 1968 and mary's about 11 years old Uh, mary's teachers often note that she's very bright and when subjected to positive attention she does extremely well however she needed attention constantly and when she didn't receive enough of it she would act out this meant that she would tell elaborate lies she would steal cuss and become violent with her classmates One time in particular, she put a lit cigarette out on another kid's cheek. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And when they asked her why, he just said he'd been mean to her, so she wanted to. And how old was she when she did this? This was earlier on, so I think she was around eight when she did that. Oh, okay, okay. But I fast-forwarded to when she was 11, because that's when things really start to pick up Right, right, yeah. Mary's only friend was a 13-year-old neighbor named Norma Bell. They were not related. And Norma was described as mentally handicapped. She was slow. Mm-hmm. and most likely mentally retarded. Mm-hmm. Um, despite her reputation, when Mary would ask neighbors if she could play or babysit their young children unsupervised, several parents readily agreed, even after the following events started. Gotta remember, it was the 60s. And this was, like, a poorer community. Yeah. So, in the beginning of May in 1968, a classmate named Pauline claimed that she was held down and strangled to unconsciousness by Mary. And Norma was there. Police were called, but Pauline was so scared, she recanted the account. On May 11th, a three-year-old boy was seen with Mary and Norma after they had promised to buy him candy. He was later found wandering the neighborhood, confused and bleeding. He was not able to tell anyone what happened. Literally, the next day, a neighbor called the cops on Mary, stating that she had strangled her daughter in the sand pit and tried to kill her. God. The police took a report but dismissed it as kids just roughhousing. Um, uh, 
I mean, I don't know that I was ever accused of, like, choking another kid. Right. And obviously, too, like, this is a fucking pattern, right? Yeah, there's something up. Like, somebody needs to address this. It sounds like it's becoming a problem. Right. So, May 25th, the body of four-year-old Martin Brown was found upstairs in a boarded-up abandoned house. He had blood trickling down his cheeks, but with no other signs of violence, the police concluded that his death had been an accident. His mom fought this claim, saying that Martin was terrified of heights and would never go upstairs by himself. Mm-hmm. And there were actually um, tabloids that reported, like, oh, that must be how he died. Like, he went up there and he was so scared, he just died of fright. <laughs> the fuck? That's not a thing. That's not a thing, especially for a four-year-old boy. Yeah. <sighs> so, July 31st, uh, three-year-old Brian Howe was found strangled in the Tin Lizzie, which is that big yeah, lock they all played in. Mm-hmm. He was found with various strange wounds, including a puncture mark on his thigh, his genitals partially mutilated, clumps of his hair cut off. In addition to a few days later, a mark would become evident. What looked like an M was scratched onto his belly. Ah. I know, poor baby. Um, A pair of broken scissors were laid nearby his body. The pathologist who processed Brian's body stated that he believed Brian was murdered by another child due to the intentional but shallow cuts on his body and the slight bruising around his nose from having his nostrils pinched shut. Ah. The pathologist claimed that an adult murderer would apply too much pressure to these wounds and the bruising would have been much deeper. Which, shout out to this pathologist for immediately, yeah. like, making yeah. that connection. Yeah, that's actually, that's really smart. About yeah, because so. this could have gone on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody thinks a child. Right. During the time of the attack on the Scottswood kids... Both Mary and Norma were observed acting strangely. When Martin's body was found, Mary knocked on Martin's aunt's door, her name was Rita, and told her that one of Rita's kids had had an accident. That is when Rita looked up and saw an electrician carrying the body of Martin from the abandoned house. Mary was reported to have been smiling as she led Rita to the site. The day after Martin died, Mary and Norma showed up at Rita's house. They asked if they could take her little boy John out to play. She said yes, because, again, nobody suspected a child. Yeah. Um, And they came back every day for a while to pick up John. But then they started asking questions like, do you miss Martin? Do you cry when you think about him? Does his mom miss him? Does she cry a lot? And they would always say this while they smiled at her. It got to the point that it freaked Rita out so bad, she finally told them that they could not come back anymore. She couldn't handle it. But she also dismissed it as just, like, a child's morbid curiosity and not being able to process it. Sorry, 11? You can process death at 11. Yeah, I think you would know that it's inappropriate to even ask those kind of questions. Absolutely. So the Monday after Martin's death, teachers arrived to find the nursery school that he had attended broken into, and four notes had been left. Among the notes was a warning, We did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you faggot. And the confession, I murder so that I may come back. Wow. Yeah, they were very aggressive. And it was very clearly, like, in a child's handwriting. Okay, that's what I was about to ask next. Yeah. Police wrote off the notes in the break-ins as a prank by confused children. Good good, I good work. I feel like they're, they're not giving enough credit to, like, how smart children can actually be. Absolutely. And how, you know, conniving. Hello, working with kids. Just the way that they manipulate their parents or, like, how many of us didn't lie to our fucking parents and have this oh whole God. elaborate scheme absolutely mm-hmm. aligned with your friends, like a whole network? Of course. So Mary also wrote a school report detailing Martin's body being found, and she drew a picture of the crime scene, including a pill bottle 
that was not released to the public. <gasps> and oh, her teacher was just no. like, okay. Are you serious? If I... Ha- no. Okay. No. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Um, two days later, Mary went to Martin's mom's house and asked if she could see him. His mom replied, no pet, Martin's dead. And Mary said, oh, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin. And she smiled at his mom. Oh, my God. Yeah, his mom told her to fuck off. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Correct response. Punt that kid. Okay. <laughs> so Friday that same week, and this is, the timeline on this is, like, evolving so quickly. I actually have, like, it typed out later if y'all want to see. The Friday that same week, Mary and Norma were found breaking into the nursery school and playing in the schoolyard. Like the same one that Martin had been yeah. into and that was vandalized previously. They were ticketed and returned to their families. How many opportunities have they had to like... To stop this. Yeah. Right. And they were just like, eh, kids. Like, kids being kids. Yeah. She choked out somebody. Yeah. And then tried to kill another yeah. kid. Burned a kid with a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. And then literally killed a kid. I yeah. mean, I guess they didn't know that it was her for sure, but I mean, I Well, think, yeah, they had ruled it an accident at that I mean, point. I think somebody would have put that together. You would think. Yeah. So, the same day that Brian Howe was murdered, Mary and Norma had stopped by his best friend John's house to ask his mom if they could babysit him. His mom declined as John was napping and the girls left angry. John's mom believes that that nap actually saved his life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Brian didn't return home, his stepsister went out looking for him. And who offered to help him search? Mary. Mm-hmm. So helpful. Mary even suggested to his sister that they look in the tin Lizzie for his, where his body was later found. But his sister dismissed it as Brian didn't like to play in that area. So not only did she like to kill these kids, she got off on watching the reaction mm-hmm. of the family members Absolutely. seeing this. Fucking terrible. Um, with Brian's death being ruled murder, the pathologist suggested that the police needed to look for a child. Mary's name and behavior came to the forefront. I bet. <laughs> Fucking hope so. And they actually, like, passed out um, surveys to all the school children, like, asking them questions to just kind of poke around and see, because they knew they were looking for a kid at this point. Mm-hmm. They were looking for, like, inconsistencies. And both Mary and Norma's kept coming up as flagged. Hmm. Yeah. The police questioned Mary, and she was extremely invasive. So much so that the police were actually impressed. At one point when they tried to press her for more information, she stated, I'll phone some solicitors and they'll get me out. I'm only 11. Like, 11-year-old child knows she's in deep shit straight up says that to an investigator. That's crazy. I wouldn't do that now. No. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine the confidence. The police also questioned Norma, but she seemed genuinely confused by their questions and kept asking if they were talking about, quote, the games. She seemed to think they were joking and couldn't stop smiling and laughing with them. I know. Uh, Both girls were indicted, and their trial started on December 5th, 1968, and only lasted nine days. So, from those interviews, that was when the police were like, "Mm, Yeah, this is it. They had so much evidence. And there's actually, you can go online and read the transcripts. It's really interesting, especially uh, the girls' testimonies. They kept pointing back and forth at each other. Norma always said it was Mary. Mary said, oh, no, no, no. Like, Norma showed you where the body was. Like, Norma confessed to it. I'm saying I had nothing to do with this. But then they had all that evidence because Mary's a creepy fuck. Yeah. Um, But it, it's really interesting. Uh, Mary actually also pointed the finger at another boy, too. And she inadvertently admitted to knowing a little too much evidence when she did that. So that was just more evidence against her. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, which, good. 
Mary was labeled a psychopath by the court psychologist who stated, I have examined several psychopathic children, but none like Mary Bell, as intelligent, as manipulative, or as dangerous as her. Norma was found not guilty of murder or manslaughter in the death of both Martin Brown and Brian Howell. She was found that because of her mental capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Mary was found guilty of manslaughter due to diminished responsibility in the death of both Martin and Brian. So she didn't get murder, but she did get manslaughter, which is good. Mm -hmm. Um, At sentencing, the judge didn't really know what to do. He stated that had the option been available, he would have placed Mary in a psychiatric facility for the rest of her life, but it just wasn't at that time. There were also no prisons for children, and he couldn't justify placing her in an adult prison for the rest of her life at age 11. But he truly believed that she was a danger to society. So, instead, he sentenced her to a detention center for life. Not for a limited number of years, for life. Okay. He did add the condition that every three years he would reevaluate Mary to see if she could be paroled. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, I think is... Yeah. yeah, I think that's, it, given the circumstances, that's the best he could do. Yeah, so. absolutely. It, it actually, three years, too, is, like, clinically, like, it'll be long enough to, like, actually withstand, because then they could do, like, a trans an actual transition. Right. You know. Right. Damn. Yeah. Mary's mom, Betty, fucking loved this. She was now in the spotlight due to her daughter's infamy. Oh and she dyed her hair blonde. She wore, like, tight-fitting clothes and, like, low-cut she did the entire news junket. She was on every, like, radio show and talk show host that she could get on every newspaper. And she claimed Mary was innocent and people were just, quote, after her baby. Oh, yeah. how disgusting is that baby? Again, Casey Anthony, right? Yeah. Like, total reminiscence. So, and Betty also downplayed the dysfunction in her household and the abuse that Mary suffered, including the poisoning. She said that... You know, that was just, like, the media looking for things. And then when it came out that she was a sex worker in Glasgow, she even, like, poo-pawed that off as, like, oh, no, I just went on dates with men. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's the media. I'm a victim, too. Look at me. But she rarely visited Mary. Of course. She didn't really give a fuck. In 1980, at age 23, Mary was released from her sentence and granted a new name. Four years after her release, she had a daughter. Her daughter didn't know about Mary's past, until 1998, when reporters tracked Mary down. Her name was soon changed again, and little is known about her today, except that Mary became a grandma in 2009. And I have no idea how they found that out. Yeah. So, and that is the true story of 11-year-old child killer Mary Bell. Ah. Yeah, I remember when I first heard this story, the idea that she carved an N into the boy's abdomen, uh, Mm -hmm. that just, like, sent chills down my spine, because that's just... I mean, not only are you, like, choking kids or whatever, but you straight up murdered a kid, mutilated his genitalia, and then was so pompous to go ahead and try and carve her... It was almost like she's trying to carve her name or her initials or something. Yeah, claim him. So, to me, the scariest or the the most um, alarming part of the story is actually the role that Norma played. Mm -hmm. Because she clearly got Norma because Norma was trusted with these other kids, like... People might think, oh, that Mary girl's creepy, but they might feel more comfortable if Norma's also there. Norma could be her alibi. Norma was big and strong. Like, she totally victimized Norma and saw her as a victim from day one. And I think, in her mind, Mary was like, if I ever get caught, I'm younger. 
I can just say, I'm younger and beautiful, like, people love me, I can just say it was Norma. Well, and it's almost kind of like she had a charming kind of almost personality manipulative oh, too absolutely so she could very much probably convince somebody that she really had nothing to do with it you know she's oh, yeah. innocent and if they hadn't had all the evidence like the linchpin in their case was actually that report that she did because nobody else had seen the body and would have mm-hmm. known that that was like the only thing that she couldn't explain away mm. as an 11 year old explaining that shit away yeah that's nuts so my sources are here's the fucking twist.com allocation.com and that's O-W-L, allocation. Um, Once Upon a Crime Podcast in Murderpedia. Hmm. Creepy story. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and here's the timeline of the escalation. Just, like, literally within three months. Mm-hmm. Went from, like, choking a classmate to carving her initials. In oh, my God. Room. Yeah, that, that progressed quickly. Jerrica, would you please like to do your segment now? I would love to. So, of course, I went the science route. I decided to do psychopathy in adolescence. So Very um, fitting. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. A lot of this um, is going to come from psychology today, and a lot of it is obviously going to be quoted because it's science-based, and I wanted to make sure I said the same words. So I'm not for every little thing going to say quote, but just as a blanket term for this piece, um, just like a lot of the um, hard like science stuff. Okay. Um, and then I'll go into a case study. But my sources are the an article in The Atlantic by Barbara Bradley Haggerty. Um, and then another source is going to be NPR.org, New York Times, Psychology Today, like I mentioned. And then there's a little brief piece that I'll mention here in just a little bit um, that was from a Reddit thread. And I'll cite the user when I get to that point. Okay, so psychopathy and adolescence. Background, so what is psychopathy? Quote, psychopathy is a condition characterized by the absence of empathy and the blunting of other affective states. Um, It is one of the most difficult disorders to pinpoint, most likely due to the other disruptive behaviors that may be misdiagnosed or of greater focus. So if they're more disruptive, obviously, you know, you'll probably be diagnosed or with like ODD or something mm-hmm. where there could other be other connecting right. disorders that would lead up to um, this diagnosis. So what are the signs of psychopathy? Psychopathy is a spectrum disorder and can be diagnosed using the 20 item hair psychopathy checklist. This checklist was developed in the 1970s by Canadian researcher Robert Hare. Um, a true assessment should be conducted by a mental health professional. Obviously, this is not like a, oh my god, I do that. I do right. that. I have that. Or like a BuzzFeed. Like, Michael. Right. Oh my god. <laughs> Michael. Yes. Like I said, the checklist was developed in the 1970s. A revised version of this checklist includes the following characteristics. Um, glibness, superficial charm, grandiose sense of self-worth, need for stimulation or proneness to boredom, pathological lying, conning, uh, manipulative, lack of remorse or guilt, shallow affect, so um, reduced emotional responses, um, callous or lack of empathy, parasitic lifestyle, poor Mm. behavioral controls, promiscuous sexual behavior, early behavioral problems like I mentioned, um, lack of realistic long-term goals, impulsivity, irresponsibility, Failure to accept responsibility for one's own actions. Many short-term marital relationships. Juvenile delinquency. Revocation of conditional release from, like, from prison. Mm -hmm. Um, So if they had, like, a, they had, like, this will be your last chance kind of thing. And 
their release would put them back in prison. Criminal versatility, so they commit diverse types of crimes. So it's not just, like, theft. It's, like, theft, arson, And again, because you're playing into the impulsivity, you're playing into, like, that risk, like, thrill-seeking and risky behavior with no um, sense of, like, consequences. Right. So each of these traits um, are scored on a three-point scale based on whether the item does not apply, which is a zero points, applies to a certain extent, which is one, and then fully applies um, to the individual, which is two points. And then the bar for clinical psychopathy is a score of 30 or higher. Side note, I would love it if we could have, like, a psychologist come in and give us each this test. So as I mentioned, the bar for clinical psychopathy is a score of 30 or higher. Um, this post I found on Reddit, um, posted by armchair underscore mindhunter, listed notable serial killer scores on Hare's psychopathy hmm. checklist. What do you think Ted Bundy got at a score of, out of 40? Out of 40? 30. 60. Um, out of 40, 38, you said? Um, yeah. 39 out of 40. So close. Dang. Peter London was a 39 out of 40. Clifford Olson, 38 out of 40. Brian Dugan? Duggan? 38 out of 40. I don't know some of these. Paul Bernardo, 35 out of 40. Brian David Mitchell, 34 out of 40. And this one we do know, Eileen Wernos, 32 out of 40. Again, I think she was a victim of circumstances. My heart goes out to her. Right. Still can't murder. But. So, um, in America, scoring 30 or over earns you a psychopath label. In the UK, it's 25 or over, which is like... That's about right. That's about right. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Look who our president was. He's it's just fine. taking money from people in Ponzi scams. It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> okay, so well, let's go into the prevalence, onset, and characterization. So it has been estimated that approximately 1% of males and 0.3 to 0.7% of females could be classified as psychopaths. An individual may show elevated levels of multiple traits, as I mentioned, associated with psychopathy without qualifying as a psychopath, according to a measure such as the checklist. It obviously, which is why you can't say as a, a layperson that, yes, I'm this. Right. You need someone who... Is able to clinically. Well, yeah, especially it. if like grandiose ideas is one of the <laughs> psychopathic tendencies, and you're like, or even if you yeah. were just like a really shitty fucking teenager who grew up in a shitty, and then you were able to like, you know, right, live reverse a normal yeah. life after, yeah. So brain anatomy, genetics, and a person's environment may all contribute to the development of psychopathic traits. Absolutely. Uh, these allow psychopaths to be highly manipulative and can be masked by charm, as I mentioned. Um, Like other personality traits, psychopathic traits are usually influenced by genetics, though research suggests that non-genetic factors are involved as well. Scientists have observed signs of atypical functioning of particular brain areas, such as the amygdala, as I mentioned before. Um, In people with psychopathic traits, there's much to be learned about the causes of such differences. So obviously we don't know everything about the brain, um, especially... Obviously, they they don't want to do a ton of, like, fucking research on kids' brains. And most definitely, because it's, most of the time, they're very manipulative and highly functioning. So they're very, probably very aware of the situation. And, like, depending on, you know, because I'll go into a case study later. But um, just hearing the kids just talk about the things that they think or feel and stuff. It's just, like, very cold. And, like, you mentioned with fucking Mary. Um... Yeah, just the way that she was just kind of like... Eh. Like, and inappropriate yeah, like emotions coffee. at times, too. Yeah. Like, smiling when talking about, yeah. like, death and stuff. Right. 
or like being cocky when she should be nervous. Right. Yeah. Right. That's that's the that's the thing too. Like the audacity of it all to like mm-hmm. act as if she wasn't going to get caught. Right. I wonder too, and this may be in your research later, but what? I wonder why males are more likely to become psychopathic than females. A lot of it, I think, has a lot to do with testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, but it's been in like different psych, uh, like other personality disorders mm-hmm. or like other things. Just yeah, because they always seem a lot more susceptible before women would. Well, there, there are some that women present more. And I don't know if that's just, you know, the number of people that have it are the same, but women just like over present more for whatever reason. Like, right. Um, um, borderline personality disorder. Also, like, just, again, this is obviously not backed by research, but also just, like, thinking, I was talking about this actually the other day with some, but women are taught to, like, sit, be quiet, mm-hmm. you know, so culturally, like, you quietly observe, you know, you right. figure things out like that, you don't really make a stink, whereas I think boys probably act out more aggressively, and, like, their aggression and their violence mm-hmm. comes out. Whereas I think the manipulation and, like, the things that probably take uh, a little bit higher thinking that are, like, pre-planning and premeditated, long long game stuff, because, again, I'll go into a case study of a, a female, but um, a lot of the things that they describe in this case study were premeditated, calculated, like, mm-hmm. waiting, opportunistic. Uh-huh. It's like, I'm pissed off at you. Let me let this simmer. I know exactly when I'm, my moment, I'm going to go. You know what I mean? And oh, like, yeah. talking about, like, that hunt. It's that killer instinct. It's that, like, right. um, like very visceral. I, I can imagine, too, that boys, with the testosterone and everything involved, they're a lot more impulsive than women. And then impulsivity, I think, gets you caught faster. And, right, and I think right. impulsivity looks different for males than females. You mm-hmm. know, maybe impulsivity for females would be, like, quick to show emotion and just, like, things like that as far as, like, played emotion. So maybe, like, manipulating through this emotion. Whereas I think with a guy, just, like, you know, overly aggressive or, like, a dominance with that's more physical. Right. Um, yeah. So, they don't really like to classify kids as psychopaths. So, like, the term that they've come up with, um, I'll go over it more in depth later, but it's, um, callous and unemotional traits for when they use it in terms of kids. And it's usually kids, um, but if it's before age 10 and then around 12 to 13, they get a little bit more lenient when they can lean towards mm-hmm. a more stronger diagnosis because that then is where you're moving obviously out of um, the younger. Yeah, you're out of prepubescence. You have more, right, you have that higher, a little bit higher like judgment decision making, not so much. Your impulsivity shouldn't be lower by that point, um, which I think a lot of the things when they're younger is probably what drives a lot of the negative um, behaviors. It's a Absolutely. lot of like tantruming and impulsivity, like stealing this shit from the kid that pissed you off, you know, things like that. So it's like, a lot of the impulsivity when they're younger. An individual may exhibit early characteristics associated with psychopathy, like I said, um, callous and unemotional traits, um, as early as childhood before age 10, and may receive a formal diagnosis such as a conduct disorder. As I remember, like, um, ODD or something like that, where um, that would be just kind of what they classified as. Which ODD stands for? Oppositional Defiance Disorder. Okay, yeah. However, showing psychopathic features in childhood does not mean that a person will necessarily become an adult psychopath. Um, and so I wanted to go into, because, I mean, not, I've already talked a lot, but um, I wanted to kind of see what it looked like. And there's a couple articles. I think I included them. I didn't necessarily use them in my research today, but I think I wanted to include them just because it's from the same kind of um, journalist from this same article. Um, but it seems like she had um, several different interactions with this 
um, clinic and this doctor in general. So um, I included the articles there because I read them but didn't really find a space to talk about it, um, but thought they were interesting. Um, so I'm going to go over a case study of a girl named Samantha, um, 11 years old. Um, so this is actually in the San Marcos Treatment Center. Oh, here in San Marcos? Yeah. So San Marcos Treatment Center, as I mentioned, in San Marcos, Texas. Um, adopted, she was adopted at age two. According to documentation from the state of Texas, Samantha met all her cognitive, emotional, and physical milestones. She had no learning dis disabilities, no emotional scars, no signs of ADHD or autism or, you know, anything about abuse or anything. No, really no red flags, right? Um, when she was about 20 months old, which, how live off love of us to say 20 months, <laughs> um, living with foster parents in Texas, she clashed with a boy in daycare. The article said clash, and I'm not really sure what that meant by clash, okay. but what I gather, it seems something like, I don't know if that meant like, like collided with the kid, and yeah. then that's what happened, because um, it says the, care the caretaker soothed them both, problem solved. So, I don't know if that meant that they crashed into each other or they had like a little tiff, but for whatever reason. Yeah, like, and at, at just under a year... Really, the only thing you can do is kind of, like, slap, like, kids kind of slap at right. and try to take <laughs> yeah, toys. That's why I was right. like, they're so little, like, how many... <laughs> it's like, I'm chubby. Like those yeah. Animal Planet fucking, like, animals fighting video, like, that's what I just thought of. Like, yeah. Babies. Anyway, um, <laughs> later that same day, Samantha, who was already potty trained, walked over to the where the boy was playing, pulled down her pants, and peed on him. <laughs> I mean, showed her dominance early. Yeah. <laughs> Good I mean, God. I don't right? hate it. Also, she was also, potty trained. <laughs> also, when she got old, she would pinch, trip, or push her siblings and smile if they cried. She would break into her sister's piggy bank, rip up the bills. Oh, or um, just take the money. But, okay. <laughs> when more Samantha vindictive. was five, well, she can't spin it if it's all fucking ripped. So yeah, probably... that's why it's more vindictive. Mm -hmm. It's like, no one can use it now. Um, when Samantha was five, um, her mother scolded her, her, you know, adopted mother, um, scolded her for being mean to one of her siblings. Samantha walked upstairs to her parents' bathroom and watched her mother's contact lenses down the drain. Um, her parents eventually had her admitted to a psychiatric hospital three times before sending her to a residential treatment program in Montana at age six. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And so then uh, there's this, like, just more just points from all of this case study. Um, quote, one bitter December day in 2011... Jen, which is the mother, was driving the children along a winding road near their home. Samantha just turned six. Suddenly, Jen heard screaming from the back seat. And when she looked in the mirror, she saw Samantha with her hands around the throat of her two-year-old sister, who was trapped in her car seat. Mom separated them. Once they were home, she pulled her aside and said this. These are direct quotes. What were you doing? Mom asked, or Jen asked. I was trying to choke her, Samantha said. You realize that would have killed her. She would not have been able to breathe. She would have died. I know. What about the rest of us? I want to kill all of you. What the fuck? So matter-of-factly, too. Right? Then mind you, this kid is six. Ooh. Samantha later showed um, her mother her sketches, and her mother watched in horror as her daughter demonstrated how to strangle or suffocate her stuffed animals. Four months later, Samantha tried to strangle her baby brother, who was just two months old. Why was Samantha allowed to be unsupervised around these That's what I was about to point? say. Jeez. Like, not to victim blame, but god damn it. Yeah, just, I mean, boundaries. Do not leave her alone with another child. Yeah. 
Especially if you caught her fucking... She literally straight up said, I wanted to fucking kill her. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and then let me show you how I would do it. Mm. Yeah. I I've thought a, about this I put a tracker a on that kid at all times. Hell yeah. Where the hell a are bell. you at? Um, okay, so four months later, Samantha tried to strangle her baby brother, who was just two months old. Um, this next incident talked about is in July 2013. Um, quote, in the children's mental health world, it's pretty much a terminal diagnosis, except your child's not going to die. Jen says, Jen is the mother, like I said. Um, it's just that there's no help. Samantha was diagnosed with a conduct disorder with callous and unemotional traits. Um, she had all the characteristics of a budding psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, they prefer to, uh... Describe kids um, as having callous and unemotional traits, a little cluster, like I said, including lack of, um, lack of empathy, remorse, or guilt, shallow emotions, aggression, even cruelty, um, and seeming indifference to punishment. Mm-hmm. Callous and unemotional children have no trouble hurting others to get what they want. If they do seem caring or empathetic, they're probably trying to ma- manipulate that is so crazy that they would only show that only just to like get something. I know that's one of your biggest fears too, Savannah. We've talked about that multiple times that she has a child and they end up being a psychopath. psychopath. And I get manipulated and like never pick up on this. We watched the, the, what is it? The good son? (sighs) The good son. Yeah. When we were really young. And it yeah, stuck with so us that both. kind of, mm-hmm. Yeah, still to this day, it's a great movie. Researchers believe that nearly 1% of children exhibit these traits, about as many as ha- that have autism or bipolar disorder, which is like, that's nuts. Until recently, the condition was seldom mentioned. Only in 2013 did the American Psychiatric Association include callous and unemotional traits in its diagnostic manual, the DSM-5. Um, the condition can go unnoticed because many children with these traits... Like I said, can be charming, smart enough to mimic social cues, and they're able to mask them. So they're able to read the situation enough to know that they don't have this necessarily or care enough, but they see and can mimic. Oh, so smart. So it's like, I should love little sister. I'm going to pretend to play with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when I get her alone. Yep. So that mom trusts that I will be fine. Mm -hmm. I'll strangle myself. And then... Wow, that is just so crazy that they are smart enough to, like, think that far. Oh, oh my God, yeah. Um, so, as I mentioned, um, brain structures, uh, someone with an undersized or underactive amygdala may not be able to feel empathy or refrain from violence. So, for example, many psychopathic adults and callous children do not recognize fear or distress in other people's faces. Mm. Mm. This fucking quote, like, terrified me. says... When, it, when the prisoner came to a fearful, they talked about a study, um, and um, and it, they were they showed prisoners um, different emotional uh, like pictures, pictures of emotions, of emotions mm-hmm. right? Um, people and then asked them to describe what that emotion was. And so one of the prisoners, um, when the prisoner came to a fearful face, he said, "quote I don't know what you call this emotion, but it's what people look like just before you stab them." Oh, oh my god! What the fuck? Shit! Right? Could not label it, but was like, I see this when this happened. Yeah, when I went to go stab him. What? Mm. Horrifying. Glad they're honest. can't even relate to that. That's crazy. Right? Um, Abigail Marsh, a researcher at Georgetown University who studied the brains of callous and non-emotional children, says that distress cues, such as fearful or sad expressions, signal submission and conciliation. Um, Quote, they're designed to prevent attacks by raising the white flag. And so if you're not sensitive to these cues, you're much more likely to attack somebody whom other people would refrain from attacking. 
So if you're ready to like punch someone or stab someone and they're like, please, please, I have a kid, you know, or something, you know, like something right. like that, then you're less likely. Mm-hmm. But these like people with these doesn't affect yeah, them. No. Wow. Psychopaths not only fail to recognize distress in others, they may not feel it themselves. The best cycle I'm sorry. The best physiological indicator of which young people will become violent criminals as adults is a low resting heart rate, says Adrian Rain of the Uni- University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's well, Michael. Just an FYI. I, I wonder what you have described might be my husband. <laughs> I mean. Remember when we thought he was a serial uh, killer? Yeah, like an I angel did. death serial killer? I yeah. almost broke up with him because I legitimately thought he was a serial killer. <laughs> Sorry. You're That's me and Steven. Yeah, Longitudinal so. studies that followed thousands of men in Sweden, the UK, and Brazil all point to this biological anomaly. We think that, quote, we think that low heart rate reflects a lack of fear, and a lack of fear could predispose someone to committing fearless criminal violence acts, end quote. Shit. Right? Um, researchers see this insensitivity to punishment even in some toddlers. Quote, these are the kids that are completely unperturbed by the fact that they've been put in timeout, quote, end quote, says Eva Kimonis, who works with callous children and their families at the University of New South Wales in Australia. Quote, so it's not surprising that they keep going to time out because it's not effective for them. Whereas reward, they're more motivated by that. So that was interesting because it kind of led into this whole different piece of the same kind of article, which is a different, I guess, route, um, talking about um, there was a, a juvenile mental health facility um, in Wisconsin called Mendota, I believe. They have this program that has very little like punishment so they do very quick and swift punishments that are like brief but it's like you're not necessarily gonna be punished for these things you just basically ignore it a lot of this is what i do for my job yeah um it's basically ignored but they're they're rewarded so they're because they have overactive reward right like you know in their brain like they're driven by reward because it's like you know so putting them in a chair in the corner for 15 minutes might not do anything but if you tell them hey if you don't hit your brother today you get an extra 15 minutes on the right. ipad really lights up there right brain. so then some of the things that they rewarded with them was like later nights on the weekends um like they would get like little trinkets and stuff like it further in the article they talked about like this boy who um had baseball or basketball cards and that was like and they were earning pokemon cards and like minutes you know and stuff like ipads and stuff and i do this like yeah we do these are things that i like reward um like my clients and stuff and yeah how we we have these systems we don't do a punishment based system we do an award based system well we will if they're really being jerks we'll will take away electronics and stuff. But I think right. that has a different effect on brains. Right, right, right. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. No, yeah, 100%. That's fascinating, though, that they're driven more by rewards than they are by right. being punished. And yeah. then the way that they, like, they had talked about, um, um, one thing they explained, one of the things that happened was, like, they would walk into, um, like, one of the facilities or whatever, you know, this person's, like, throwing feces and, you know, urine at them. And then you just walk out, you know, give them time, come back, and then... The, basically, the way that they, they worded it um, was that you, basically, like, being there, like, de- it's called decompression, mm-hmm. and um, basically, you overwhelm them with your presence. Right. So, you constantly come back, no matter how, like, much that they, you know, try to deter you, throwing urine, during feces, but you repeatedly return, and the theory is that eventually this, this subsides, and then you have a genuine moment of, like... 
a natural reaction. But your didn't change. it. They changed it. Right. You know? So then it's naturally they're not going to seek it out. So I'm going to do the quote of what I was just mentioning. Um, so at Mendota, at Mendota, the staff calls this, quote, de- decompression. The idea is to allow a young man who has been living in a state of chaos to slowly rise to the surface and acclimate to the world without resorting to violence. So, like I said, they they allow them to make their mistakes and things like that. Obviously, it's controlled setting. Right. um, They're still going to act out. They're still going to do things. But the idea is that they eventually stop seeking that out. And then you can, like, make connections with things. And so they went further into it. They talked about, again, back to this um, Samantha case that I was describing. She's, like, out of, again, she's in the one that's in San Marcos in Texas. Um, but she, like, is making friends. And she's, like, understanding, like, slowly starting to understand um, different things that she just had never had the time right. to do. Because she's Social starting norms. to, gen- right, she's starting to genuinely make those connections. Um, and then she said herself, like, you know, it's obviously it's not perfect. Sometimes, you know, she like has that built up urge and she just like acts on it. It doesn't go away. But again, it's like one of those things where you just like learn to like manage mm-hmm. it with it. Yeah. Yeah. Just like wild. That's cool. But yeah, that's um psychopathy and adolescence. Cool. Mm, fascinating. <laughs> I know. Okay, so for today, I am in charge of our palette cleanser. I know she's smiling. So for our palette cleanser, I'm gonna give you each a pen. Great. I got one. Oh, that, okay. Cute. All right. And, um, we each get a sheet of paper. I got homework. No. Do not. I'm not shocked. Look this at is it Savannah. Yet. This is classic Savannah. It is. What? I okay. don't look at it. Oh. Ew. Two kids. Y'all right? No, Chris. Yeah. Okay. So we all have one. I have to play this with you guys. Great. Good. So, um, uh, yeah. Okay. So the game is Fuck, Mary Kill. Oh, oh okay. fuck. Safe. <laughs> oh great! I gave Michael these last night when we were having dinner, and he he laughed. I showed him pictures okay. of like the celebrities. I, most of them are celebrities we all know. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. But so what you're gonna do is there's gonna be three celebrities on each category, and there's gonna be a line underneath their name. So underneath their name is where you put "fuck Mary Kill" or "bang okay. Mary Kill." Okay. So I'm gonna pause it. I'm gonna let us do that, and then when we come back, we're gonna each read them out loud. Okay. Or I'll try to you know we can all try to guess yeah. who did what. Okay. Okay. All right, so we're going to start out with number one. Our choices for Bang, Mary Kill are Carrot Top, William Defoe, and Steve Buscemi. Can we do it, like, the way that we say them? Um, like, can we do fuck? Can we, and then we each say who we chose. Oh, okay. okay. <clears throat> I feel like we all have the same kill on this one. I'm just going to put that <laughs> okay. out there. Who, who would you guys bang? Carrot Top. Whoa! William Defoe. Carrot Top. He? Okay. So okay, on, here we go. on the Boondock Saints, he had to get naked for a scene. Are you trying and, to wait? No, wait, no, wait, no. Wait. This is a true story. And the director had to kick people off a set because Willem Dafoe has an unusually large penis, and people could not stop looking at it. Like they weren't even shooting; they weren't doing their jobs. People stopped and were like, "Oh my god!" Willem I almost Dafoe. spit my water out at you. I'm just saying it's out there. So, Willem Dafoe. I didn't Y'all know that. Y'all are wrong. That's just the fact that I took... Y'all would go for that ginger with the weird face. <laughs> the only reason is because I feel like Carrot Top has a lot to prove, okay? He'd <laughs> be very tender. He'd bring props. I have a type. So. He would bring Let's props. Show. Hello. Yes. Okay. And then, <clears throat> who did you guys say you would kill? Carrot Top. William Defoe. <laughs> God, y'all are wrong. Y'all are so wrong. Thank you. Bernie Stark. 
Savannah, okay. negative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Steve Buscemi. We'd all um, marry him. He's wait. a hero. He I was agree. a 9-11 hero. Not only that, yeah, he was. And not only that, but I feel like he also hangs out with a group of just really chill comedians. Yeah. And oh, we don't what's, have a lot what's of What's the hot one from SNL that he's friends with? The blonde one? The really young blonde oh, one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's friends with him. Like the one with all the shitty tattoos? Yeah. Oh. I can't remember his name Oh, right my now. God. How can I not remember? Pete. The one that dated... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, Pete David Davidson. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Like that? Okay, he's friends with him. Yeah, because his dad died. Pete Davidson's dad died. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a fighter pilot. <gasps> oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then so that movie that he made. I oh, think, it's super mm, good. I haven't seen it. What it's was really it? It's good. King of King of Staten Island. Yeah, I want to watch that. Yeah, it's really good. Steve okay. Buscemi's in it. Yeah, he is. Um. Okay. Sorry, we get off track. Number okay. two, our choices were Clint Howard. If you don't know who that is, definitely Google it. Kanye West, and then Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Who all would you bang? Kanye West. Kanye. Yeah, yeah. I said that too. He's just the youngest, so again, I think he would just have more energy. Billions. Yeah. Man has billions. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Who would you guys marry? Clint Howard. Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler, Tyler is lady. a pedophile. Is he? Yes. He brought like a 14, 15 year old girl on tour with him in the 70s. But y'all have that Jacob thing going, too, so y'all have types. I never said I liked Jacob. Come on. You know. I was so expecting y'all to make fun of me that I'm, like, (laughs) hyper-defensive. Yeah, you are. Okay, so Kill was Clint Howard for me. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So is Pete. Oh, my. You don't even know him. Neither do you. Goodness. Okay, number three. The options are Owen Wilson, Tom Cruise, and then Justin Bieber. I cannot stop thinking about Tom Cruise as a chode. Gross. Tom Cruise is chode. <laughs> okay, who would you guys bang? Justin, Justin Bieber. Bieber. Ew. S- same reason as Willem Dafoe. That's all I'm going to say. Apparently. Rumor yeah. has it. Who's the judge of these wieners? He's, he had a nude leak. Yeah. He's phoned a lot of women also, so it's been confirmed by multiple sur- sources. Yeah. <laughs> You're sure you know a lot about Remember when Again, Captain when America? random fucking information. That's, you were so right about that, Jerrica. Um, I said I was going to bang Tom Cruise because, again, I feel like he would just put a lot of effort into it. We don't have to talk. We don't even have to look at each other, frankly. Honey, I don't have to like look women. at him. And he would try to comfort you. No, he wouldn't. All I would need him to do is just put it in me. He wouldn't let... Uh, Kate Holmes, like, make noise during childbirth. You think he's gonna let you orgasm? Yeah. I think he would. Okay, so, um... (laughs) Who did you guys say you were gonna kill? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Justin Bieber. He's annoying. I can't, I can't. That's why you just Um, And then, are we all gonna marry Owen Wilson? Yeah, we are. He's great. Hey, no. Actually, and this one's hard for me because I just found out randomly the other day, he's an asshole. He goes and, like, gets all these women pregnant, and then, like, basically is like, we're going to get married, we're going to have a family. I thought he only did that once. Um, I think twice. Oh, okay. So, he does send child support for his kids, but has never seen or interacted with them. we've been married and live with our partners for a while. Wouldn't that kind of be amazing if, like, some rich dude just sent you a shit ton of money? I mean, I can kind of see it from her point of view, though. Like, he basically the whole time was, like... Oh, you know. We're going to do a life. And they were together for like six or seven years before. And then it's like the second she got pregnant, he was like, I'm out. Damn. Number four. This one was a difficult one. Our three choices are Zac Efron, 
Henry Cavill and Michael B. Jordan. Who would you guys marry? Henry. Zac Efron. Henry! Zac, Zac Efron. Mm-hmm. I Henry, Henry, not only is Henry handsome and talented, and I'm sure he has a big wing. That body. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with all these things. This was a hard one for me. Okay. But, but he's also a if nerd. I just had to have, like, a yes. huge pound town, like, <clears throat> session with one of these three. Absolutely Zac Efron, but... Henry Cavill. I'd marry Zac Efron. We'd hang out. He eats. He travels the world. He has fun. So, who did you guys put as your kill? Zac Efron. I put Zac Efron, too. Have you seen Only? Michael B. Jordan? Uh, yeah, I have. But have you seen what? Uh, that's right. Yeah, I know. Uh, I would bang him. I've heard he was an asshole on set heartbeat. too. I'm sure, but I mean, I'm not there to like be friends. Apparently, I'm, I'm there, there to, to kill him. Pew pew. <laughs> okay, uh, number five. And we have only two more. Uh, our options are Idris Elba, Ryan Reynolds, and Chris Hemsworth. Who would you guys marry? Chris Hemsworth. Chris. Ryan Reynolds. Ooh. Really? He's so funny. I So I have the, a feeling that in the next couple of years, he's going to come out as really problematic. Oh, I bet. Why? Because apparently Blake Lively is super bitchy and super problematic. And like everyone that's ever worked with her hates her. And you kind of marry someone that reflects you. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't ever know that about her. I always thought she was very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I would marry Chris Hemsworth. Not only is he hot. He is hot. But he's so loyal and he's such a good dad. He's such dad. a good dad. Me too. That's what I did. And he's so sweet. Like, I mean, just the way he treats he's his so kid tall. and his wife. Like, ugh. And that accent. Mm. And, like, barbecues would be great with the family because, yeah. like, they're all hot. Uh, yeah. I mean, eye candy. Who would you guys bang? Idris Elba. I said Ryan Reynolds. Only because I didn't want to marry him, but I, I definitely got to play around with I said the Hemsworth, because obvious. So tall. Yeah. We yeah. all got different on that one. Guys. And unfortunately, yeah, I would kill Idris Elba. And that's only because he's, he's older. Oh my god. Well, in that, have y'all seen that detective show with him? The, no. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, the British detective show. He walks like he has a big. Oh, I bet. Oh, have you seen BDE? He was in the sexiest man alive, and he was in these, like... Oh, guys, I'm getting hot and bothered in here. Let's finish this. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it really is hot in here. Yeah, it is. It's super hot. Okay, Okay, our our last one, uh, the three we have to choose from are Logan Paul, Jeffree Star, and Dr. Phil. Guys. Mm. Guys. So who would you um who would you kill? I think we would all kill the same person. Logan Paul. Jeffrey Star. Jeffrey Star. Really? I Logan Paul's a dick and he's very dick. problematic, but Jeffrey you cannot top that. Mm, like know. he is a thousand percent a terrible human he being. He is a terrible he is a terrible human being. Does good makeup. I mean, yeah. I can't justify it. I, they're all shit. They are. And Dr. Phil at least has a shit ton of money. So who'd you guys marry? Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. He's the closest to death. He has a shit ton of money. And at this point, he's just looking for retirement. So you know he's only going to just want to travel everywhere. Oh, yeah. He's not even going to be interested in sex. No. He'd be like, let's go on cruises and eat shrimp. Exactly. Exactly. I just, like, take his money. I would bang Logan Paul only because of the ass. Divorce. Yep. That was my bang. Who was your bang? Logan Paul. Yeah. You know who mine was. I have a time. I'm not going to say it outside. (laughs) <laughs> outside. I'm going to say it out loud. All right. Um, 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you are still with us, thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you. It's probably like a two-hour episode. Yeah, That's fine. It's, it's long. It was good, though. Yeah, it was. So thanks for listening, guys. Please follow us on our social media. We have an Instagram, violent underscore delights underscore pod, and the same handle for TikTok. And sometimes I make things. She does. Well, thanks for sticking with us. And until next time, bye. fucking do that. I do. Okay. Fair. Are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, alright, so let's get started with what we actually are here to talk about. Savannah, let's start. <laughs> <laughs> what did I just say? <laughs> god damn it. Like, wait. This is gonna be another eight hour recording. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Are we okay? Are we gonna no. be okay? We've all had a very stressful week. <laughs> smoke crack. Okay, well, I'm not a crack expert, so I don't know. <laughs> you can smoke crack. There are probably other ways you ingest it. That sounds like, you know, those people who do those, like, fucking, what are those, like, enemas or whatever? To, like, get drunk. Oh, shit. Booty hole. Or, like, women who soak, like, tampons in vodka or whatever. Yep. Oh, yeah. And then, um, also, uh, on My Strange Addiction, did you guys ever see that one couple who's addicted to coffee enemas? Yes. Wasn't that crazy? Yeah, that crazy. And they were doing, they, like, like, five times a yeah, day. Yeah, it takes, like, two hours every time, too, and it's, like, God, They were just, like, in the bathroom all day just shitting. Like, shitting, shitting, shitting. Why is that addictive? Uh, anyways. Why would you want to do that? My, my, because it's my alarm for John to take his blood pressure pill. It went off. We went to go see that Green Knight movie at Flix and it went off and I literally was like sorry 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 to like the three people around us <laughs> so I was like just turn it off oh god it's yeah. a stupid movie don't watch it it happens I've never even heard of it it's an uh tale from like Lancelot and King Arthur's court and stuff but it's a little known tale and it's real stupid and the guy literally jizzes on his belt on his magic belt and it shows a close-up of the jizz like no. He's squeezing no. His belt. no. 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 Like no. No. Going through his fingers. No. That's <laughs> disgusting. Like I literally, there's a lot of things like. And handle. then I was so confused by the whole movie that I was like, "What?" So I had to read the backstory on it. And there's like at this one point, this old crone who's blind, like in this house, and she's kind of following him around and creeping him out. And she sees him do that. And then later on, you find out that's his mom in disguise. You don't find that out in the movie. You find that out when you read. So the is this like a comedy? Backstory. What is this? It's the fucking old tale so it's i I, it's just an old tale it's like the the round table but boring it's about king arthur's dumbass nephew who jizzes on a belt and squeezes it through his hand i feel like that didn't you hear that the first time yeah (laughs) literally well that's fun Woo! i can feel my throat relaxing that's how i know i can see it's important to have a relaxed throat and the microphone, and all I see is like Ursula and Mac, like, and it's distracting me so bad. What? 
You know Ursula? Yeah. And she's like, yeah. I can sit in the microphone, and that's all I can look You're at. That was yes. like visceral. I knew exactly what scene. Exactly. Yeah. And I can see my. Is there like. <laughs> I can cover. If somebody said Ursula Neck, I would not know what that meant. <laughs> well, now but you the do. fact that you just gave me that pure image. Absolutely. Great. Brilliant. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> you cry. Yes, I am. <laughs> I love okay. it when you cry. Oh my God. I love it. It's my favorite. Man. I felt like you were about to like go off on a little jig because it like right went like it goes a little like this. I was like, really? No. Okay. Now on iTunes. Yes. I'm I'm gonna make that its own thing. Oh God. I'm gonna isolate it. That's gonna be its own. I'm gonna do like a little animated. Oh my God. Make it like a TikTok sound. Okay. Just like. Of Kevin. Oh shit. Oh no. I spilled white cloth. Um. Also, while uh, we're grabbing your boobs. It's because they're falling out. I look over her and she's like. No, it's because my titties keep popping out the top. I feel that. I literally keep doing this thing. Um. Back to what I was talking about after this girl peed on them. Um. You left. She said this so aggressively. Didn't you say it again? Firehouse subs gets my dick hard. Yeah. No, that's not how you said that's it. That's not how you said it. What did I, how did I say it? Firehouse. Nope, subs. nope, she's trying to trick you. <laughs> Thanks, Freddie. You're welcome. She tried to get you. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Okay. 